0: Well, thank you, Jake, very much. As I've shared with you before, it is the preacher's prerogative to change his mind a bit since the bulletin went to print earlier this week. And if you are a scrupulous note taker, just a couple of minor adjustments to the structured notes. Point one is thanksgiving to God, not thanks. And point three is now enlightenment from God, not light. Not a big deal. But another thing concerns the reading of the word. You'll notice at verse 15 that Paul begins his prayer. This is the first prayer of Ephesians. There are actually two of them. But he begins this first prayer with these words, for this reason. And those words, for this reason, refer back to the various blessings of our salvation in Christ, which Paul enumerated earlier in verses 3 through 14, and praised God for. And so as we get into this prayer, I'm going to read verses 3 through 14 once again because it's a very important insight that we see that it is praise and praise for God's sovereign blessings of salvation that leads us to pray in a proper spirit to our Heavenly Father through the mediation of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I want us to see that, so I'm going to read verses 3 through 14 once again. They're not in your bulletin. You can turn to your smartphone or your Bible and follow along. And then I will only read as far as the beginning of verse 18 because we're just going to get into verse 18 barely, and then we will finish up this prayer next week. But hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 3. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And these praises in these verses then lead Paul to pray for the Ephesians. And he says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love, Toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Brothers and sisters, this is the holy word of God. Let us pray. Almighty Father, you have given us your most holy word for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that we might be equipped for every good work. We ask that you would pour out your spirit now, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation that we may hear and understand and receive your word with true faith and obedience to the glory of your grace to us and our Savior. And it is in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. A couple I read about living in Brazil opened their house to many of the needy street children living there. These children are often orphans. They don't have homes. They have not really loved, known the, the love of a parent in their lives. They have not loved, known the, the care of other human beings. It was a wonderful ministry. And as this couple was visiting a particular city in Brazil on business and they were walking down the sidewalk, they saw a little boy huddled up in a blanket. And there was something strangely familiar about this boy. So in curiosity, they drew near and they recognized him as a boy who had lived in their home and known their love and experienced their care, and then inexplicably had simply disappeared one day. Well, they were reunited with great joy and they embraced this boy, and they asked, why did you leave? And with complete truthfulness, the boy said, I didn't think you wanted me to stay of course exactly the opposite was the case. The boy had been deeply loved, he had been tenderly cared for, yet because he viewed himself as an orphan, he never felt secure in the love of another person. He was naturally distrustful. He could not believe that he was wanted, that he was loved, that he was cherished. So he left those who loved him to beg as an orphan on the streets. How many professing Christians relate to God in that precise way? As orphans rather than as sons? It's particularly noticeable at times in how we pray. We can pray like orphans just anxiously begging for God's provision in our hearts. We are deeply distrustful of Him. We are unsure that He loves us and wants us and that He has our deepest concerns in mind. And the way Paul prays here is the antidote to that problem. Uh, Paul prays, not simply to a sovereign God. Paul prays to a sovereign Father. His words for this reason challenge us to reflect once again on everything he has said is true of God's children in verses 3 through 14, their election by God, their predestination by God, their redemption by Christ's blood, their forgiveness, their sealing by the Holy Spirit. And why are these things true? These things are not true because of our goodness, these things are true to the praise of the glory of God's goodness and grace to us in Jesus. At first Paul begins this chapter by praising God and thanking Him for these saving blessings that are ours in Christ. But then his praise moves him to And, And we note that in his prayer, Paul is not begging anxiously. Instead, assured of the Father's love for these Ephesians as sons, he prays for that thing which is most needful of all. He prays that they might know God better. And he prays that God will personally unfold himself. Think of that that God will personally unfold himself, that God, the God of this creation, will open himself up to these Ephesians by his spirit of illumination because these Ephesians are not orphans. They're children of God. Now, Paul's prayer is a model prayer for us. I mean, as he prays, it's as though he is tutoring us in how to pray, not as orphans, but as the children of God. And there are three basic themes that his prayer is built around, and the first is thanksgiving to God. Now, that's the first characteristic of Paul's prayer. He's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and of their love for all the saints. Paul always looked for faith in Christ and love for others as two Marks of genuine conversion. Without these marks, our professions ring hollow. And having heard of the Ephesians' transformed lives, before he intercedes for them in prayer, he first leads them, doesn't he? In giving thanks and giving praise to God for the various blessings of salvation he gives to all of His children, the great and the small. And beginning our prayers with thanksgiving to God is a valuable starting place for us too, lest we fall into this habit of, of anxiously praying as orphans rather than as beloved children. Brothers and sisters, let us first of all offer thanksgiving to God for His work in our lives. For his work in our lives. You see, that's the starting place. Paul starts by giving thanks to God for his sovereign work of grace in the Ephesians' lives. Their faith in Christ, their love for others, that is the fruit, he says, of their election by God to be holy and blameless before Him. It's the fruit of their predestination by God to adoption as His beloved children. It is the fruit of their redemption from sin's reign and God's judgment by Christ's precious blood. It is the fruit of their sealing by the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom God gives as a guarantee and a down payment that this good work of salvation He has begun in all who believe is one He can be safely relied upon to complete and finish at the day of our Lord's return. Now... Wouldn't it be helpful if from time to time we prefaced our prayers with thanksgiving to God that these blessings of salvation in verses 3 through 4 true of the Ephesian believers are also true of us? I mean, there is hardly anything we can imagine, I think, that is more calculated to, to, to give us peace and hope and confidence and courage and thanking God as a practice that we are the recipients of His sovereign, indomitable, triumphant, saving love in Christ. Oh, friends, we are chosen, we are predestined, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are sealed all to the glory of His grace years ago when visiting my parents, Valerie and I would take our children at some point for a walk at a nearby nature trail. You know, it was kind of an opportunity for the young kiddos to burn off a little bit of steam. And at one point on that trail, we would cross this little hanging bridge that hung perhaps two feet off the surface of a small pond. And as you walked on that bridge, it would swing back and forth from side to side. And one of our children, unsure that it was securely anchored, (laughs) would literally crawl across that bridge on all fours as others confidently walked past. But doesn't that anxiety characterize many who come to God in prayer unsure that they are anchored securely in His eternal saving love for them in Christ? Our trials leave us feeling at times as though we are swaying back and forth on this rickety bridge But if we make it our habit, I think, to thank God that He chose us in love, that He predestined us to adoption, that Christ redeemed us by His blood, that we are forgiven, that His Spirit has sealed us and and dwells in us, as the promise that God will perfect the work that He's begun in us, then we have peace and we have joy, don't we? And we have confidence. We are secure in His love for us. And then second, let us offer thanksgiving to God for His work in others' lives too. In the same way that we give thanks for His work in our lives, we give thanks when we hear of His work in the lives of others. We we take time to give thanks for His work in the lives of family members. And in friends, we give thanks for His saving work in, in people in our community or perhaps in another country. Yeah, in another country, you see, that was Paul's practice. It's wonderful, I think, that Paul in his mind could see, he could see that innumerable throng of people redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation before the throne of God, all to the glory of God's grace. If the angels of heaven rejoice over the single sinner who repents then shouldn't we do similarly? Some of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the old hymn by the anonymous author and it goes this way. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my heart to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. Thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine enfold, I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. Twas not so much that I on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. I find, I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee, for thou wert long beforehand with my soul, always thou lovest me." You see, making it our practice to come to God with thanksgiving for His sovereign, eternal, mighty work of salvation in our lives and in the lives of others helps anchor our hearts securely in God's sovereign, indomitable love for us in His Son so that, you see, our spirits are sweet rather than bitter and, and, and bold rather than fearful and joyful rather than sad. Thanksgiving to God. And then second, knowledge of God. As a matter of first importance, Paul prays the Ephesians would know God better. Now that sounds obvious enough, I suppose. It's easy for us to read that and think, okay, that's a no-brainer, and we skate over it quickly. But I want you to consider, in a sense, how remarkable this is. I mean, think of all the pressing needs that face the church I think of the need for evangelism and apologetics. Think of the need for preaching and teaching of the Bible. Think of the need for growth and holiness. Think of what's involved in involving ourselves in civic life. Think of the financial challenges that we face. Of course, all of these needs are legitimate. But here's the thing. Paul sees a need that is more basic than the rest of those, and that's the need to know God better. The need to know God more deeply. And so he prays God would give the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that they might know Him better. And Paul, at this point, is simply following the example of Jesus, isn't he? Some of you remember how Jesus prayed in the upper room that eternal life is knowing God. And Jesus Christ, who he said, a little girl I know of, overcame her fear of separation because she learned in the children's catechism, can we see God? The catechism asks, and then answers, no, I cannot see God, but he can always see me. And so that experiential knowledge of God healed her fear of being separated from her parents. And as adults, we understand that blessing too, don't we? For those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to His purpose, Paul writes in Romans. But but here's something important. Most of us perhaps immediately think of God's Word as the means of knowing Him better. All right? I think that's what most of us run to at this point. And of course, God's Word is the most basic means He has given so that we may know Him better. We must read God's Word and study and meditate on God's Word, but significantly, in this prayer, Paul is modeling for us something else. Since he is praying that the Ephesians would know God better. Prayer is an essential means for knowing God more deeply. Yes, in our prayers we offer up our needs to God with thankful acknowledgement of His mercies, but more basic than that utilitarian view of prayer is this. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is divine encounter and divine conversation with God. And I wonder if we fully appreciate that. In prayer, our Heavenly Father invites us to enter in through the curtain, into His presence in the heavenly realms, in the name of our Savior. And when we think of prayer in that way, we realize what an immense privilege prayer is for the Christian. J.I. Packer, in his famous work, Knowing God, the men's group has studied that now, and I've read these words to you before, but I'm going to read some of them again because he says very helpfully, knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about Him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. Friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one and could not indeed be a deep relationship between Persons, if it were not so. Now, some of us may be feeling that we're only making a beginning in understanding prayer in this way. So, Paul's example gives us a place to start. Note two things. Note the whom that we encounter. Who is the whom that we encounter? We come to our Heavenly Father. We come, Paul says, to the Father of glory. You see, glory is our Father's domain. And glory is the destination for all of God's children. And so in prayer we know these foretastes of our life at home in glory with Father. You see, when we are born again through faith in Christ, we receive the right to be called the children of God. We receive this right to call on God as Father. And because we are God's sons, He has sent His Spirit into our hearts which enables us to call out Abba, Father. In that remarkable prayer of our Lord's in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father for His followers these words. He says that the world may know that you sent Me, and get this, have loved them even as you have loved me. To be God's adopted child through faith alone in Jesus means that God loves us as if we had done all that Jesus has done. And so, as we come to our Father in prayer, we acknowledge what we already possess. We acknowledge what we already possess, whether we realize it or not, through the saving work of Christ and through this work of the Holy Spirit, we already possess the most intimate and unbreakable relationship with the God of the universe possible. Already. And there's a second aspect to Paul's prayer, and it concerns the how we encounter. We come through our Savior Jesus, Paul prays, to God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The privilege of communing with the Father has been won for us through Christ's work as Savior. You remember that moment, that incredible moment when Jesus having now offered Himself fully for our sins on the cross, climactically what yields His Spirit up to the Father with a loud cry, and that great curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. It's as if the Father stooped down from heaven and He tore that curtain in two as a testimony that confident access to Him in glory is granted to all, the great and the small who come to Him simply in the name of Jesus. Oh, my friends, may may God help us to make it our purpose in our prayers to commune and to converse with our Father in the name of the Savior so that we may know God better. Because you see, knowing God better is our privilege, but it's also our destiny as His children. Thanksgiving to God, knowledge of God, finally illumination from God. A final thing that is so fascinating, I think, about Paul's model prayer is that not only that we commune with the Father through the mediation of the Savior, but also by the illumination of the Spirit. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. On the one hand, we speak of the Holy Spirit's inspiring the authors of sacred Scripture. The Bible is the God-breathed-out word because, as Peter said, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And yet, and yet, and we need to be careful in saying this, but there is also this sense in which, as Paul says here, The revelation process does not cease with the inspiration of the Word of God. What do we mean? This word revelation in this passage means the same thing as illumination. God sends the Spirit to His children, not not so that they might know important things supposedly left out of His Word, or not so that they might know mystic clues supposedly hidden in His Word, but you see, so that we might understand the revelation of our salvation accomplished by Jesus and recorded in God's Word, we have received the Spirit of God so that our minds may be illumined to understand and to trust in the salvation God has revealed in His Word. The illumination of the Spirit and the Word of God must go together. Now, dare we believe... That as we take up our Bibles and come to the Father in the name of the Savior and by the light of the Spirit that He will personally open Himself up to us, disclose Himself personally to us, personally deal with us. Yes, that is our great privilege. In our prayers, we have this divine encounter and conversation with God. Some of us remember years ago... Uh, the Walt Disney movie, National Treasure. And in that movie, Dr. Benjamin Franklin Gates and his fellow treasure seekers discover a treasure of almost unimaginable worth in New York City of all places. Uh, Supposedly the treasure was acquired by conquering kings over a period of thousands of years. Then that treasure was discovered by a special order of Templar Knights in Jerusalem about a thousand years ago, and lo and behold this great treasure was brought to New York City during the American Revolution and stored in this immense chamber underneath Trinity Church at the corner of Wall Street and Broadway. Now, it's terrible history, I realize. But it's very entertaining. And Gates and his friends walk into this dark, cavernous chamber where they are unable to see anything of significance until that chamber is illumined by a great light, at which point they behold glorious riches almost beyond imagination. Has the Spirit of God illumined your mind and illumined your heart to see the riches of knowing God as His gift through faith in Christ? Those who have yet to believe in Christ, I'm speaking to those who have yet to believe in Christ, Those who have yet to believe in Christ need the light of God's Spirit so that they may receive the wealth of knowing God. Paul's prayer presses this issue on our hearts, doesn't it? I mean, there are many people who believe in God and they are fine people. But they do not know Him personally. Personally. This matter of dealing with God and being dealt with by Him is foreign to them. (coughs) And there are many people who respect Jesus, but they remain separated from God. And they are in danger of His eternal judgment because they have not received His gift of salvation. Now, what's necessary in either case that God would mercifully send the light of His Spirit into our otherwise sin-darkened minds so that we might see and we might receive these treasures of knowing Him by faith in Christ. Because of His love for the undeserving, God sent Jesus His Son into this world to die in the place of sinners, to bear the wrath and judgment of God in our place to shed His precious blood as a payment for the sins of His chosen ones. And has God sent the light of His Spirit to illumine your mind, to understand this good news is for you? Or my friend, do you still live in self-imposed, spiritual darkness, foolishly resisting God, putting off the love of the Father, living as an orphan in this world? Oh my friend, if you have not done so by the illuminating grace of the Spirit, trust in the blood of Jesus, trust in His blood shed for sinners, this blood that gives everyone the right to trust in it to be called a child of God, and by the blessing of His Spirit in you, enjoy communion with your Father, And learn to serve Him with gladness. You see, don't neglect this wonderful treasure of communion with God as His beloved child. But also, those who have believed in Jesus also need the light of God's Spirit so that they might enjoy the wealth of knowing God better. I mean, how many of God's children live in self-imposed spiritual poverty? They are sons of the King, yet they relate to God as poor orphans. Do you want to know your glorious God better? Then take time to commune with Him in prayer. Prayer is one of the most basic means God uses to illumine our minds and our hearts in a deeper knowledge of Him. Child of God, don't waste your life. Don't settle for anything less than knowing God better than you do now. Remember, child of God, the Father chose you in love to possess this treasure of knowing Him. And remember the Son redeemed you from sin by His blood to possess this treasure of knowing Him. And remember that the Spirit illumines you to possess this treasure of knowing God. You see, one day we shall possess fully this treasure of knowing God in glory. So in the meantime, let us enjoy tastes of that treasure here. It's our privilege to. We are not orphans. We are children of the living God. Praise be to God for His grace to us and our Savior. Let us pray. Oh, Almighty God, this prayer of the Apostle Paul's really touches on this, this need that we have not simply to know more about you but to know you in this deeply personal way and we thank you Father that in the case of all of us who trust in Jesus we see here that you chose us in love you predestined us you've redeemed us you've forgiven us You've sealed us with Your Spirit precisely for this privilege of knowing You better. And Father, I would pray for any here, any here in this sanctuary right now, any who might be watching this service, streaming it, I pray for any who do not know You. Oh, Father, may these riches of knowing You be Theirs today. Send your spirit to wake to awaken those who are sleeping in darkness and under the power of sin. Oh, Holy Spirit, give them new hearts. Raise them to new life. Give them faith in Jesus now so that they might know this wonder of communing with you in love. This blessing of no longer being an orphan in this world, but instead being a child of God. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior.